from a crystal fortress in the Arctic, it's the IGN Digigods. Please welcome two men who already believe a man can fly, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Mark, you know what that music is? Uh, nice. Oh, well, first, Corey, who sent that in? That was written, in part, by Eric Altieri. That was written by Eric Altieri, except for the end, where I had to put in Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. <laughs> anyway. So, um, back to, and by the way, Corey finally got Eric's name correct there. Uh, the, uh, that music. It's from Shogun. The, that's right. Maurice Jarre, one of his best scores, uh, and one of his later scores, really, um, you know, from as in the post-David Lean period, uh, or kind of, you know, before his final David Lean score, of course, with the Passage to India. But uh, we are talking about uh, Shogun, which is out on Blu-ray at long last. Thank you. Long overdue. Lame. Uh, what? Lame. You don't like Shogun? Yeah, it's fine. Shogun was an amazing miniseries. Know. You know what? That this was, was during from the, the, the era of that the, was the miniseries. Era of miniseries. I was about to say that. Well, Roots is what really kicked it off. Yes. Roots sort of it, it said, oh my gosh, people will actually tune in for, to watch like, a movie that's many episodes, but a series that, that isn't, uh, doesn't go year after year. I mean, there's like a thing between those two. That, that, you, that can be a thing. And then suddenly there were, there were a ton of them and they all starred Richard Chamberlain. Wasn't that they, funny? They did. Who's still around? So, of course, there was there was you know Centennial and you know that, all, all those uh, uh, James Mitchner James Mitchner ones yeah Centennial went on forever uh, but the, I mean Shogun was great and the Thornbirds was great and I well, loved both of those well now instead of miniseries they have HBO True Detective type movies yeah but I, honestly show. Shogun was so good and I you know I was a huge fan of course everybody knows I you know I, d- very early on I got into Asian culture and Jing. that was a big deal to me so. Ninjas and Kung Fu and Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan, all that stuff was just an, an innate part of my vernacular. And um, I read all that James Clavell stuff, Taipan and... You read uh, all that stuff? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Terrible. Yeah. Uh, I read all that stuff, uh, you know, King Rat and Shogun, but Shogun was his magnum opus, you know, and it was incredibly well-researched. I mean, Shogun is a magnificent novel. It is enormous. It is huge. It is like Gone with the Wind, Atlas Shrugged, Pride and Prejudice, uh, or not even Pride and Prejudice. What's the, what's the big, uh, the, uh, War and Peace. War, War and Peace. Peace. It is like, it is that huge. It's a, it's a massive book. Uh, so it takes a long time to get through. But man, what a great story. Of course, primarily a story of, uh, of Westerners. In this, it played in the movie by Richard Chamberlain, who, uh, you know, they uh, arrive in feudal Japan, the culture clash, and then, of course, all of the, the feudal intrigue that they become a part of, and there's interracial romance, and there are ninjas, and samurai, and there beheadings, and, and oh my gosh, it's amazing. And the thing is, as graphic and bloody and, and you know, sexy as the book is, uh, you think, oh, how are they going to get that on television? And they don't, but they don't need to. Somehow, Shogun as a miniseries just captured everything. It just got into all those nuances, and it's just fantastic. And I'm so thrilled it's on Blu-ray. Looks better than ever did in original broadcast television because, uh, you know, back in 1980, th- there was no high def. Uh, so this thing was shot on film, and you now finally get to see it look as if it really were a movie. And it's just fantastic. It's absolutely wonderful. The, uh, the, the aspect ratio is still 4.3, so you're not getting a widescreen ratio. But, man, what a, what a great miniseries. Uh, it includes a 13-part documentary 
on the making of it and uh, a few little featurettes that give you some historical background and then a really, really cool uh, commentary by director Jerry London. So uh, the, the commentary is only on, on, a, on a few bits of it. It's uh, you know, not throughout, but man, it's pretty great. It's just pretty great. Three discs and uh, Shogun on Blu-ray. Took long enough, but it's finally there and I could not be happier. So uh, that being said, Mark. Um, yes, sir. Should we? Do we have any any little stories to tell this week, or do we just keep launching right do, into the? Do, do into you the see TV? that big stack of DVDs? Yeah, but that that's that, that's easy to easy to blow through. That's easy, but we, we need to cover some television. We haven't covered television in a little bit, and uh, we probably should. Um, uh, let me. Drop the diva still around. I don't know why. I, I, oh, I don't know who's grief. watching the show. This is uh, on the DVD, not on Blu-ray. This is the complete fifth season. This is a show about a fat lady who works. <laughs> That's really what it is. Oh, look, I'm a fat lady and I work. You should uh, watch me if you're a 30, 34 to uh, 43 year old uh, woman she, in the middle she, of America who's she, fat and works. There's a whole supernatural thing to no, it. No, there's not. There's nothing to it. Yeah, it's a, a supernatural That's thing. She, she died and she. Oh, my gosh, Greg. She came back. Oh, this is. This okay. is all right. Jennifer Love Hewitt is, uh, stars in the client list. This is uh, the second season on DVD, not Blu ray. Don't like that. Anyway, uh, this show is controversial for some reason. Uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt plays this uh, woman uh, at a massage parlor, and she also does other things, quote unquote, okay, uh, with her clientele. <laughs> and she's got a she's got a she's got a kid. And then this season, the ex husband returns. I, I, I skimmed a couple episodes. It's just not my thing. Um, I mean, it's a little bit sexy, I guess. Jennifer Love Hewitt is pretty ageless. But ultimately, um, this is for the ladies, not for the men. All right. Uh, we are, you know, I, I made a big stink when uh, season one of How the West Was Won came out with its original uh, television movie, The McCayans, and uh, season two is even better. I'm so sorry that this show didn't actually uh, last longer than it did, but, uh, you know, you get 14, uh, 14 episodes on uh, season two, and it's wonderful. It just continues to be one of the best things that was ever on television. Uh, of course, the whole story here is about a you know a family in the aftermath of the uh, uh, of the Civil War, and you know all of the, the how all the different members of the family uh, go into these different directions, and the, the sort of the family saga of it during a time when America is expanding into the West and into the frontier and trying to patch itself together in the uh, era of Reconstruction. And uh, it has just an amazing performance in every episode by James Arness as the uh, the rugged mountain man, uh, Zeb McCain, who, you know, is the patriarch of the family. And uh, Bruce Boxleitner in one of his earlier performances, Luke, who, uh, you know, uh, runs afoul of the law. It's just, it's a really great cast. And it's really well put together. Uh, looks better than almost anything else from the late 70s. And, um, you know, coming out in the same week as... Uh, as a Shogun, and, uh, you know, it recalls to me just how good that period was in many respects. So there was a lot of really good stuff there. And Fanula Flanagan, who's just always wonderful, uh, shows up in this season and uh, just adds a special something, you know. Uh, you know, as, as part of the, uh, the original Irish wing of the family, she comes over from Ireland and brings a little bit of old world charm. It's beautiful. Fantastic series. I love it. And then as long as we're on the, uh, the whole Western thing, um, we've got The Big Valley, season three. These are from Timeless Media. 
And uh, Timeless Media is, has shifted its distribution strategies a few different times, and we're starting to get a few more uh, of their stuff now. So we're going to start talking a little bit more about The Big Valley. Uh, that means that seasons one and two for The Big Valley have already been out. So if you are a Big Valley fan, which has one of the best all-time themes ever, you're definitely going to want to go I remember and, that theme. Oh, isn't that a great big theme? Big Valley, it's really big. Yeah, no. It's a nice no. small valley. No. No, I don't know what song you're talking about. Big Valley about. was uh, it, it kind of dwelt in the in the shadow of Gunsmoke and Bonanza for many years because there were westerns all over television, and especially considering that you know it's sort of people thought it was like a ripoff of Bonanza because Bonanza is about the patriarch and the three sons, and this is about a matriarch who has three sons and a daughter, and it's like oh yeah great so. You, you just you just kind of switched up the uh, you, you swap out Lauren Green and you swap in Barbara Stanwyck and uh, what do you want? Well, you know what? You got Re- Lee Majors here. That's worth something, right? Pre six million dollar man Lee Majors. Awesome. Yeah. Who he's married to? And Fawcett. and you also have Linda Evans in her first big television deal. She was as, also married to Perry oh, Fawcett. Gosh, Linda Evans is so spectacularly beautiful on this show. It like above and beyond, mind-bogglingly beautiful. It just it it floors you when you watch this show. Just that silky blonde hair, and she's just like this milky skin. It, it, there's just no, It's unbelievable. It's staggering. It Wait, really no one's going to watch that show. Stop talking about it. Anyway, no, it's good. It's really really good. The Barkley Clan in the Big Valley, one of the best TV theme songs ever. And Barbara Stanwyck, you know, went from a uh, movie career to doing some pretty great stuff in the Big Valley. So, if you're a fan of the uh, the '60s westerns, hey, that's definitely worth checking out. Also worth checking out is uh, Orphan Black on um, BBC America. Now this, this has really got a following. This has got a heck of a following. She's really good. Yeah, mostly because of uh, Tatiana Maslany, who once again yeah. is uh, has been denied a uh, an Emmy nomination. Isn't that weird? Which is totally weird. Everybody loves I, her. Well, you know what it is. I just think the Academy just doesn't. Uh, they don't watch BBC America. They're not watching the screeners. Yeah. Just don't get it. Anyway, uh, she plays a woman who. Uh, who has to play a lot of characters because she is not only herself, but she's also a various clones of herself. Right. So she's got to play a lot of different parts, and she's all quite good in it. So can't imagine the show without her, but uh, she seems totally um, uh, underpraised by at least the Academy. But it's a good show. Season 2 on Blu-ray. Check it out. Orphan Black. Very well recommended. Uh, not recommended because I never liked the show. It was L.A. Law. I know Wade loved this show. Yeah, I mean, those it, you know, shows I, I where, love it less now. Yeah, it doesn't hold up. You know, like, because like shows now, especially when you when you're comparing it to the stuff that's on HBO and Showtime, yeah, this stuff just seems quaint. Oh, look at Corbin Burns; he's so handsome, and look at him. <laughs> they solved the case, and it's wonderful. And just, I uh, I just enjoyed Michael Tucker and Jill Eikenberry because they were married in real life, and I remember there was a you know you're always like, oh man, she sees right through that because he's kind of a schlubby little guy. And then there was an episode where uh, he had to demonstrate the Venus butterfly. And uh, they never explained what it was, but boy, did that arouse curiosity. And uh, I emphasize arouse. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Uh, Wahlburgers uh, is a show that is on A&E. This is a show all about, um, it's less about Mark Wahlberg, who appears in it, and he's front and center Pro- in the Producer, art. right? Didn't he produce the thing? Uh, well, the thing is that they need to get his name on this thing as many times as possible, because he's the only name yeah. involved. Because it's really all about uh, Donnie, Paul, and their mother who own a burger restaurant. Oh, I see. It's all about the burger restaurant, which is called Wahlburgers. So it's all about the making of the restaurant. And, uh, you know, look, it's a cute show. I like it when Mark shows up because, you know, he gives it some star power. Um, and, you learn, of course, you learn about the family. You learn about the mom and uh, the brother. So there you go. Wahlburgers, it's okay. It's, uh, it's got a second season coming. 
Also, we have Hell on Wheels, which is on Blu-ray. This is the AMC show. This is the third season. Um, I do like this show because I like shows that are set in this uh, era, although nothing will compare with uh, Deadwood. Love the Deadwood. Anyway, this is about a, a, con- a Confederate soldier, and he's, uh, you know, making the railroad, and he's, uh, you know, he's tracking down these guys who are responsible for uh, killing his family. And uh, it's good stuff. I have to say that I thought the first season, which I watched more than this season, uh, was better. Because um, now the show's kind of in mid-career, and its characters are established. Nothing's that new anymore. Uh, it does have Colmini from Star Trek The Next Generation. Any time Colmini shows up in anything... I'm on board. Anyway, the Blu-ray looks pretty good. Uh, this uh, show is not as well shot as some of the HBO shows like True Detective, but still it's uh, pretty good looking. Um, and the bonus features include a uh, look at season three, which we don't need because we're watching it yeah. on Blu-ray. And uh, like ten behind-the-scenes featurettes, all of varying quality. Finally, at least for me, we have Marine Boy. Now wait, here's the thing with Marine Boy. Oh, this, this, that, that's another, what, what's fourth season, third season, second, what it's is it? complete third season. Third three season, discs, yeah. 26 episodes. This is a three DVDs. It's a weird series. You know, it was like, it was like one of the first color anime cartoons. Yeah, it was also just, one of the first to be seen in the U.S. It's very strange. It's a weird show, but, uh. This is a Warner Archive release, so it's a, it's a DVD-R if you're, if you're so inclined. Yeah, it's about this kid who invents things. Okay, so uh, Mill Creek is releasing a lot of stuff on uh, that's already been out, but they're in more in bargain, more affordable uh, releases. One of them is the complete series of The Ellen Show. The Ellen Show is probably uh, unknown to most people because it was extremely short-lived. It uh, it ran like uh, you know seven or eight episodes, and and done. And uh, that was sort of before Ellen's uh, Ellen DeGeneres' resurrection as a talk show icon. She does a talk show? Yeah. Martin Ball, Cloris Leachman, Jim Gaffigan all showed up on this. And uh, you would have thought, my goodness, if, that, if you had that cast today in a sitcom, that'd be kind of killer, wouldn't it? But no. Anyway, so that's out again. Uh, the complete ter- series of The Tick, which I always enjoyed. The live-action Tick. I like it better than the, uh, the animated Tick, to be honest. Uh, frankly, just because I think Patrick Warburton is just so damn funny. I saw Patrick Warburton in the men's room last month. Did you really? I did. That's good. You want to know why? Why? <laughs> you know why. Oh, because uh, No, because uh, I've said this before. <laughs> across the way from my office is Fox Animation Studios. Oh, that's right. Where the Family Guy offices are, and sometimes I'll see one of their cast members in the men's room. He's one of those guys whose, uh, whose voice just makes me laugh. Like, he could say anything. If I were if I were a, a you know like a waiter in a restaurant and I I went to serve him and he and he said I'll take the clams I would just lose it I'd completely flip out I wouldn't know what to do it's, because it, the voice just makes me laugh it's like seeing Rod Serling it is like just imagine Rod Serling ordering like at a restaurant so anyway I thought this very tongue in cheek uh, approach to the tick was great uh, in live action a lot of other people didn't but anyway it's out again the entire series it's fantastically funny Barry Sonnenfeld produced by the way. Uh, a season one and two uh, combo pack bargain priced uh, compilation of T.J. Hooker. Uh, look at that rug, huh? Shatner and his and his and his rug. I it's, like that rug. It's see, good that, looking, no, huh? See, see, there, there, there was a time when the rug looked okay. It did because it was it was feasible. Yeah, you could see that maybe he would have that rug. Yeah, maybe yeah. some of the gray was uh, bleached Looks out, good. but still, it's, I'll buy that. But yeah. now that he's like eighty years old, yeah, it's a little just stop that. It. Just stop anyway. That. Uh, Adrian Zmed and Heather Locklear were uh, co-stars on the show, and uh, Adrian Zmed uh, 
went on to replace Denny Terrio on Dance Fever. That made no sense to me. Heather Locklear, of course, uh, was the television icon of that entire era. I mean, uh, between this and Dynasty, it just, uh, she was it. She, she was the deal. But of course, it's all about William Shatner. And what I loved about this show was every episode had William Shatner giving you some lecture about uh, the streets. There's, it's a jungle on the streets, and there are animals out there, and we've got to go stop them. It's a great show. Very, very funny. Still hilarious. Really underrated was action. Uh, this is the complete series of action, which ain't much. It's, it's like nine episodes, uh, eight or nine episodes, and that's it. Uh, not even that. It's, it's, it's just, man, I'll, I'll tell you, action was a really promising show. I think a better show for what it tried to do than Entourage. Would you agree? Um, you know, Edgier. I'm not a fan. The thing is that I'm not a fan of Jay Moore. Oh, you're not? No. Really? Don't get it. I, I, don't, I, I find him a little bit smarmy. Well, he is. That's, why, that's why he's perfect to play an, an agent. I mean, this is, this is about the sliminess and the sleaziness of agents. Yeah, but, but on HBO, where you don't have, where you don't, you're not confined Which is by why I think bad this language and blah, blah, blah. Uh, you get a better accounting of that particular type of personality. I, I don't think so. You can't have that type of personality not swear up a storm. Well, that's one reason why this show was canceled so quickly, because it just didn't really fit regular television. And, and plus, Jay's character was named like Peter Dragon, yeah. or, which is his lame. Anyway, and then also a two-season combo pack, seasons one and two of I Dream of Genie, which are two fabulous seasons. Of course, the show got better as it went on, and you can get the complete series in uh, in a box set that's uh, with the you know in the shape of the bottle and the whole thing which is wonderful but if that's you know if that doesn't fit your fancy then you can always do this and uh, it's just wonderful you get all the people who kept showing up as uh, in guest spots on every show during the is there any sitcom from the 60s that Paul Lynn did not show up on he's the best wasn't he the best and we didn't realize that he was gay he just seemed like a really happy guy no everybody everybody who who I didn't how I was old? like three. Yeah, well, four, yeah, we seven. did. But look, a, 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 adults, adults with any sort of worldly experience were like, oh, dude's gay. Well, they I, just knew. I was not an adult back then. Like, yeah. I would look at like Foster Brooks and go, how does he perform drunk like that? <laughs> no. I remember <sighs> being a kid and watching the Batman TV series, which is yes. coming out on Blu ray finally. Yeah. Uh, I'd watch the Batman TV series, and they would have some establishing shot where, like, you know, it's some city street and uh, people are shopping, you know, whatnot and so forth. And I would think to myself, do those people know they're on a TV show? No. Exactly. Nope. All right, it's that time of the year where I have to talk about uh, Mystery Science Theater because <laughs> they keep coming out with these, and they're always on DVD. It just really pisses me off because I really wish they would come out with them in... Um, Blu-ray? In Blu-ray. Yeah. Anyway, at this Someday. point, uh, you know what? There's 30 of these. I mean, come on. I, look, I love the show more than anyone, but you know what? Stop that. Mm-hmm. Just give me the best, and let's leave the rest uh, some, to someone else. Because right, here's the thing. I love the show, but I'm not a completist. So... Volume 30, you would think a volume that ends in a zero would be a special volume. It's not. Normal stuff. It Lives by Night, The Projected Man, Outlaw of Gore, and The Black Scorpion. My favorite, Black Scorpion. But again, you know, because The Black Scorpion has the most jokes that are, uh, has the least amount of jokes that are timely. Sure. Because a lot of the jokes are very topical, and some of that stuff just goes out of style, you know? Yeah. Here, The Black Scorpion, as I remember, it has the best jokes that are evergreen, funny, liked it. Um, the only thing too, as everyone knows, I have to have shorts, not just in my life, but I have to have shorts in my mystery, uh, mystery science theaters because the shorts are the funniest and there's no shorts on this and that sucks. So I'd probably say, uh, if you love the shorts as much as I do, you might want to pass on, uh, uh, number 30. All right. 
All right, let's uh, let's let's start cranking on some um, classic stuff. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go through some olive films here, some olive releases uh, as quickly as I possibly can. We got a Lewis Milestone film. This is uh, of course all olive stuff, most of it licensed from the Paramount Library. And uh, Lewis Milestone, of course, who uh, most famously did the uh, the second Academy Award-winning Best Picture, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, did a really interesting noir with Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer, two European stars. You know, an interesting way to make a noir is to uh, put a couple of people who are not native Hollywood actors in Arch of Triumph. And uh, that, of course, is the anglicized way of saying Lac de Triomphe, which is the uh, Napoleonic arch that is one of the great uh, hallmarks, one of the great icons of Paris. Lame. Leads uh, a direct line from it to the Louvre. Um, this takes place in 1938 in Paris, where, uh, uh, you know, obviously on the eve of uh, Germany invading, um, uh, invading France, you have a lot of pre, uh, pre-World pre War II intrigue, and, you know, Nazism is kind of this shady uh, thing that's in the, in the offing. And uh, it's very, very interesting. It, uh, it is a European noir made by a Hollywood director, and it's pretty sharp. Uh, it's really, really cool. Another interesting milestone film, uh, which is probably more interesting for its strange historical trajectory, is uh, Armored Attack. Uh, Armored Attack was uh, originally released at 106 minutes in 1943 as the North Star, and then it was released in 1957 at 76 minutes as Armored Attack. And there's a whole history to that, and uh, there's even a radio adaptation. All of these versions are on this, and... um, it, it's uh, it, it'll it'll get into the whole issue of it. what's interesting is that when it was re-released, there was all this stuff that was cut because it was um, it was because it was the Cold War and there was this anti-communist stuff that was added. Anyway, um, so it's it's not a great film, I don't think. Uh, stars Ann Baxter, Dana Andrews, with supporting performances by Dean Jagger, Farley Granger, Eric von Stroheim, and Walter Brennan. Uh, but the, the the strange historical nature of that film is definitely worth checking out. And uh, Forever Female with Ginger Rogers and William Holden. Um, another unusual pickup for them from 1953. Uh, this is interesting only to me because it was written by Julius and Philip Epstein, the famous Epstein brothers, of course, of you know, Casablanca fame. Um, and it was suggested by a J.M. Barry play called Rosalind. J.M. Barry, of course, the creator of um, uh, Peter Pan. But um, uh, it's a satire. It's a it's a you know a showbiz industry sh- satire that I don't think is the best satire. I don't think it's a, a great film. Ginger Rogers is always wonderful to watch, and William Holden is always wonderful to watch. But um, a little bit more interesting in this case, just simply because it's uh, you know because of the pedigree. Uh, the other love with Barbara Stanwyck, David Niven, and Richard Conti. Um, you know, that's a it's an okay film from 1947. Uh, okay melodrama. Uh, anything that involves people being sent to, uh, you know, sort of uh, f- physical rehab facilities and mental hospitals and sanitariums and things like that always has a, a re- it lays it on pretty thick. And in this case, it's, uh, it lays it on really thick. But it's all right. It's, uh, it's of a piece. And then uh, the Peabody and the Mermaid is uh, also kind of an overlooked little film that features a lovely performance by William Powell. 
1948, uh, kind of a you know breezy little movie uh, directed by Irving Paykel, who uh, did uh, The Miracle of the Bells, among many other uh, wonderful films, and a good script by Nunnally Johnson, who did uh, The Dirty Dozen. So uh, that's a kind of a nice little uh, bonus. And then the, uh, the last two here, uh, the first one is Caught, which is a Max Ophel's film from 1948. Uh, which stars Barbara Bel Geddes of uh, you know uh, Dallas and Vertigo as um, a woman who gets in deep with this uh, strange millionaire played by Robert Ryan and uh, quickly realizes that the person she's married to isn't the person she's she thought she was marrying. Um, good little good little thrillery noir uh, angle there. Max Ophel's giving his usual uh, his usual intensity. And then The Lost Moment uh, is a thriller from 1947 that um, it, I think dates a little poorly, but is worth watching just because it's got some interesting performances in it, uh, namely um, uh, Robert Cummings, who and Susan Hayward and uh, Agnes Moorhead all do really decent work. Um, but again, not, a, you know, not a, a legendary film by any means, just uh, one to check out if you happen to be a fan of those particular actors. Uh, Wade. Yes. Got a movie here uh, called uh, Kissing Jessica Stein. Now, in 2002, this was a, it's a bit of a little indie uh, thing going on here because Kissing Jessica Stein is about a woman who is uh, trying to find uh, the boy of her dreams, and she goes on a lot of bad dates. She can't find the right guy, so she winds up dating a woman. You got to understand, at the time, this is 2002, about uh, 12 years less enlightened than we are now. Uh, that was a bit, uh, a little edgy for the time and it's uh, cute it's uh, look it doesn't mean much it's not going to change the world but it's kind of refreshing and it's got a nice little spin on the typical uh, you know romantic comedy blah 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 it's got a good cast uh, Jessica um, this woman uh, Jennifer West, uh, Westfeld who's gone on to do nothing except TV uh, plays the title character and so uh, there you go it's a cute little movie it definitely had its moment the entire cast has basically disappeared as had the director as has the director Charles Herman Wormfeld wow you know, I've heard of nobody. Nobody here has gone on to much. Um, but it's kind of nice. It's a nice little comedy. I liked it. Smart. Uh, the Birdcage. The Birdcage oh, is uh, Mike this. Nichols' uh, attempt to... Um, Do La Caja commi- Fall. Commit to fil- oh, uh, yes. Yeah, commit to film La Caja Fall, the 1978 French musical. And uh, it's funny stuff. Uh, Nathan Lane really exploded onto the screen, at least for me. Robin Williams. In this movie. Robin Williams funny. Gene Hackman. Calista Flockhart. It's just a really funny thing. It's a total scream. Uh, really funny stuff. Got a lot of great energy. You know, again, Mike Nichols really knocks it out of the park. He's just great. And, uh, yeah, it's got a great opening shot. It takes place in Miami. Oh, that South opening Beach. shot is great. It takes place in uh, South, in, the, in Miami, the South Beach. And uh, it's just got a lot of funny dialogue. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a really it, good film. For a movie, that, for a remake that comes so long after the film that it's remaking, and especially when remakes are usually really crappy, uh, I thought this was uh, a surprisingly a whole lot of fun. Yeah. I, I was really shocked at how well I how much, how much I enjoy this. And I credit Mike Nichols for that. I really do. Uh, wait, interesting film from uh, the 70s called The Visitor. This is on uh, Blu-ray. Um, how do you explain this? Uh, uh, it's, this a, it's, that's a, it's a strange film. I, I, I'm really surprised it's on Blu-ray. It's, from, it's Draft House who put that out, right? Draft House bring uh, this stuff out? Well, I can, well, yes. This is definitely more of a Draft House film. It's got a good cast. It's got uh, the cast and strange, strange, bit of a strange cult uh, following this John film. John Houston, had. Sam Peckinpah, Glenn yeah. Ford, Lance Henriksen. Um, it's about 
this guy from this this guy from space who's kind of this like intergalactic Christ figure kind of and he fights this evil eight year old girl it's it's well it's yeah it's it's I, a weird movie it's a but strange it's very compelling it's a compelling little film it's a strange film to describe and it was uh, it, it didn't really I don't think it did very well originally but it's it, ha- it has had a cult following for a long time because it plays a lot of midnight movies and it's you know a lot of bootlegs have been floating around on this thing and it's visually really arresting it's just uh, but it's you know it's a strange little psychedelic uh, thing from the late 70s that just you know it, it and it, it it was made in Italy, I think, wasn't it? Wasn't this made in Italy? I think so. I don't do not yeah. know. Good yeah. question. Anyway, now the Draft House release you got to see is Miss Forty Five. Now Miss Forty Five uh, from nineteen eighty one. This is the Abel Ferrara film, and uh, Abel Ferrara is basically evil. <laughs> I mean, he does these movies that really are. He's got issues. He goes all the way. Dude's got issues. Bad Lieutenant. He, it, 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 it's mm. an evil film. It goes all the way. Now Miss Forty Five. It's a little bit like a female Death Wish. Is probably the. Uh, it's probably a, it's a bit reductive, but there's some truth to that. Um, Zoe Lund uh, played... Now, she uh, is no longer around. She died uh, tragically. But uh, Zoe Lund plays a uh, woman who uh, works in the garment district. She's a seamstress, and she winds up getting attacked, and all these horrible assaults happen to her. So she freaks out, grabs a gun, and goes on an incredible rampage all around New York, just trying to kill just the entire male population of New York. And, uh, yeah... So it's a really good film. It's very violent, totally creepy, and very much a product of its time. Because don't forget, in the early 80s, New York was basically just falling into the sewer. And uh, so it's become a cult hit, and rightfully so. So Draft House knocked that out of the park regarding the Blu-ray. There's an interview with Abel Ferrara, who loves this film, and the composer, and the creative consultant, Jack McIntyre. There's the trailer. There's a booklet. So... It's a good film. Miss 45. It's a cult film. 30 years old. Still great. Wow. Cool. I'm going to have to enjoy that. Uh, I'm going to go through a bunch of DVD-Rs now from the MOD Manufacturer on Demand lines of Warner Brothers. And for the first time, we have not covered the uh, Sony Choice Collection. So uh, we, we often talk about the Warner Archive Collection, their DVD-Rs, their MOD titles. We're going to blow through a bunch of the Sony ones. They sent us a whole ton of them. And there are some interesting things in here. There are some that are not so great, but there are some that are worth checking out. So uh, we will point you to those. On the Warner end, there is Another Dawn, which is a pretty standard programmer of the era, uh, directed by William Dieterle, who did a lot of these. And uh, it takes place right after World War I in the Sahara, and it's, uh, you know, Kay Francis and Errol Flynn, is, uh, he's, a, he's a, military, a British military officer, and, you know, she's a, a lovelorn woman, and they find each other in this hostile environment, as often cap- happens in these movies, you know. White people somewhere among the the inclement conditions of the third world or the colonial world. Uh, a really interesting, weird film that I had completely never heard of. I mean, this was entirely new to me. Um, it, one of the first anime films, if not the first anime film, to make it to the uh, United States was uh, Toei's Magic Boy, which was released through MGM. And um, what, a, what an unusual thing this uh, was. This is, I mean, ama- visually amazing. Uh, about this magical boy who lives in the forest. And it's got a, you know, a lot of kind of standard anime elements to it. But, you know, the, the boy basically has to fight this witch. And there's all of this sort of Japanese magical uh, allegorical stuff going on here. That's about a lot of other things in post-war Japan. 
and uh, really fascinating. But it's amazing to me that this, uh, I had no idea that a major anime film was released you know, through MGM at a, at a point in time like this. It's fascinating. So anyway, that's Magic Boy. Uh, inter- a lot of interesting iconography there that doesn't show up in anime even today. So of all the strange things to wind up in our Warner Archive, there is a, uh, an anime. Uh, and now to the Sony stuff. An old western called Klondike Kate, which uh, takes place in Alaska, in, you know, uh, frontier Alaska. Glenda Farrell is in this. You ever heard of Glenda Farrell? Ever heard of Ann Savage, Mark? Ann Savage. Tom Neal. You've heard of these people? No, just Glenn, just the second one. Straight up B programmer. Not that great. Uh, next film. The Wreck of the Hesperus. You know what the Hesperus was, Mark? Uh, some biblical crap. Nope. This is a Longfellow poem. This was a, an epic poem written by Longfellow, the guy who wrote Song, Song of Hiawatha, right? One of the great American poets. You read him in school. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Yes, right? indeed. Yeah. Yes. Okay, good. All right. Just making sure. Well, this is in that kind of uh, Moby Dick type uh, vein. This is about a uh, sea captain who um, just he, he's lost everything, and he uh, tries to regain his his life. And uh, there's a whole there's a really interesting thing about uh, the you know lighthouse, which is a bit of an allegory here, and uh, a lot of things from his past kind of re- come to come to light. Anyway, it's not bad. Uh, it's kind of a B programmer, but it's better than most. And then we get uh, an old Columbia Western programmer, uh, The Fighting Marshal, starring a guy who was kind of a big deal at the time, Tim McCoy. Um, it, really nothing here that is particularly uh, extraordinary. This is just a really generic Western and very low production value. I cannot recommend that one. Uh, the Walls Came Tumbling Down, a little bit better, a little more interesting. Um, this is directed by a guy named Lothar Mendes. I You've never heard of him either. But uh, there's some interesting uh, little kind of noir angles to this, and uh, it's, it's better than a lot of more significant noirs that I've seen. So uh, this one's not bad, and it, and there's an, it involves a, uh, a lost da Vinci and a whole bunch of interesting little, uh, little ins and outs. So that's not a bad little, uh, little program or thriller. Another film called Too Tough to Kill which uh, starts off really poorly and then becomes a little bit more interesting as it moves along thanks to some decent performances by more people that I've never heard of, including uh, Sally O'Neill, who is uh, wonderful. And um, getting better is Modern Romance. Modern Romance oh, is Oh, I love Modern Can Romance. Can you believe it? Modern yep. Romance is a DVD-R. Uh, that's terrible. Any Albert Brooks film is Blu-ray. Should be Blu-ray. Absolutely. I know. For I, sure. love this. My, I, I love this film. It's Modern great. Romance is fantastic. So, yep. uh, you know, the, why that wound up on the DVD-R uh, listing, I, I have absolutely no idea. But anyway, Modern Romance is absolutely sensational and uh, one of Albert Brooks's best films, and uh, it, it'll make you laugh endlessly. It is really, really sharp. And uh, George Kennedy plays himself in this. Which and I Catherine Harold, she was so fantastic. She was, she was hot then. Also, uh, God's, must, no more. God's Must Be Crazy 2, which has been out a few times, and uh, this is... An, uh, I, it's you know, not the God Must Be Crazy one. I don't even think the God's Must Be Crazy is all that great, but they uh, really... How dare you, Coke bottle. That's eh, all right, but this really just belabors it rather badly. Coke bottle. Uh, Owning Mahoney, which uh, should be rediscovered a little bit just because Philip Seymour Hoffman has become such a big star since and, and his, with his passing I think a lot of people are going to want to rediscover some of his earlier performances this was actually a Canadian film 
and uh, features you know some decent supporting work by Mini Driver and John Hurt and, and a few others. Uh, you know, mostly this is just Philip Seymour Hoffman though, and uh, it is a it's a kind of a based on a very famous fraud case in Canada, big big bank fraud thing. Uh, a couple other decent ones here before I get back into the uh, the kind of negligible stuff. Uh, one is The Eyes of Laura Mars with Tommy Lee Jones oh, and Faye come Dunaway. Oh, like Right? Yes. Right? Urban Kirshner. Time, huh? Urban Kirshner, man. I know. Man. Well, don't forget, he also did The Jagged Edge. He didn't I just know. do Empire Strikes Back. I know. He did too. a lot of good stuff. Did a lot of good stuff, including, uh, you know, uh, um, Raid on Entebbe for television. Yes. He did. Entebbe. Kirshner was television. the man. Right. And you know, you know who wrote this? William Goldman. John Carpenter. John Carpenter. John Carpenter. This is John Carpenter's story and screenplay. I mean that's that's amazing. And, and yet, if John Carpenter had directed it, it would not have that like no, you know, it that classy it sheen that this movie has. Kirshner gave it like that that thing that just that that thing that it just it needed. It's uh, it's pretty great. So, Eyes of Laura Mars, a really cool thriller from the from the seventies. And then um, a lot of people think that Happy Days are here again was was based on American Graffiti. Just because of, you know, uh, Ron Howard and Cindy Williams, right? They're like, oh, yeah, of course. It's, you know, Happy Days is like uh, American Graffiti put on television. But it kind of is, but it's a fusion of two things. Just like Hogan's Heroes is a melding. Uh, a lot of these shows were meldings, right? Like Bewitched is a melding of uh, My Wife the Witch and uh, Bell Book and Candle. Just like Hogan's Heroes is sort of merging The Great Escape with Stalag 17, right? They're just like they're doing the melding things. Well, Happy Days was merging... Um, uh, American Graffiti with Lords of Flatbush which is where the Fonz shows up the Fonz is originally a character from the movie The Lords of Flatbush a great film and uh, I actually I, you know I didn't like it at the time but I've grown to like it uh, oh it's good it is good Perry King and Stallone show up in this as well Sylvester Stallone uh, one of his early moments to kind of shine but really um you know, the fact that Henry Winkler is in this and just creating that character is fantastic. Yep. So this is a, this is a, this is a fun film for the air. I still remember the commercials on television for this thing. And then rounding out all of this Sony stuff, uh, here are a few other things here. We've got uh, uh, a little western called The Hawk of Wild River, which is, uh, you know, not that memorable. Uh, Charles Starrett stars in this, who had kind of, along with Clayton Moore, Really, the only other reason to watch this, and Clayton Moore, you know, not that interesting unless he's in, uh, unless he's playing the Lone Ranger. Um, uh, you know, Bait is a better than average film uh, among all of these kind of B programmers at the time. Uh, an interesting little kind of neo noir uh, directed by and starring Hugo Haas, who uh, does a very, a really decent job with it. So check out Bait if you if you're kind of a noir fan. Uh, Born Free, A New Adventure is dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. The Born original. Free. Oh my gosh. No, the original Born Free is the only one you should ever watch. And this, I don't know where this thing came from. This is this is some kind of a, a, a television movie or something. It's just abysmal. It, it, it disgraces the whole Born Free thing. Don't avoid it at all costs. Uh, Mary Ryan, Detective. Um, not not bad. Uh, Marsha Hunt. I have no idea who she was. I mean, that's the thing about a lot of these these programmers. I I've never heard of any of these things. These are all old Columbia programmers. But uh, as a female detective thing, way way better than you know all of that girly stuff that uh, you know. You mean my collection of Nancy Drew books? Yeah, all that junk. And then uh, lastly, a couple that I think are really really super cool. The Devil's Playground 
is a film that I became very fond of when I was a kid, watching it in reruns on television, and nobody actually even knows about this thing. Uh, this is, it's a submarine drama, and it's really, really good, and it's really well done, and uh, extremely well written and very claustrophobic, and you should check it out. Um, it's, it just, it's, it's out finally in a DVD-R, and, and couldn't be soon enough. And then this one is, um, this is actually a fun film. Everyone hates this. I'm very forgiving because I had a crush on Brooke Shields at the time, and I always loved George Burns. So shoot me, I think Just You and Me, Kid, is a really sweet film. I agree. I really do. Do you really? Yes. Good grief. I thought well, you were going to... No, because I, I also had a crush... thought you were going to rip me apart. I, no, I also had a crush on uh, Brooke Shields, and as a, as, a, as a student, a fan of comedy... Love George Burns. Well, I think this is one of the best things Brooke Shields ever did. I mean, she is so sweet here. She's, a four, she's 14 years old in this thing. And I think she just kills it. She's so charming. She's so sweet. She's so wonderful. I've seen her at the market, too, by the way. You told uh, that story last week. I know. Anyway. It's a good Ray Bolger, Burl Ives. Come it's on. fantastic. It's really, it's just a lot of fun. It's a really, really sweet movie. And uh, I, I think uh, people should definitely, uh, that's one they should try to seek out. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of DVD-Rs there for your viewing pleasure to seek out. They're not going to show up necessarily on Amazon. But uh, see if you can scour them out at the, uh, the, Sony, uh, the Sony website. Yes, sir. Yes, indeedy daddy do Yes, indeedy daddy do uh, and, uh, yes. uh, you know, real quickly, let me just make mention of this as well, as long as I'm nailing some old movies. This is one from uh, Film Chest, who only releases one title every so often. This is The Black Book, otherwise known as Reign of Terror. Robert Cummings, uh, Arlene Dahl, Richard Hart, and the great, always fantastic Richard Basehart. Uh, they, they do these restorations in high def, but they don't release them in high def, and I really wish they would. So if the Film Chest people are listening, please, you know, try to get, get some Blu-rays out there, because people want these things in Blu-ray. Um, this is a 1949 Anthony Mann uh, period film, which uh, takes place, uh, it's the, 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 a lot of the intrigue during the French Revolution. Uh, Richard Basehart plays Robespierre, and um, it, as he's sort of trying to take control of the country, um, there is allegedly a black book, which is a list of everybody that uh, is going to be going to the guillotine. And um, they're become then you, they're in you know you get suddenly a sort of intrigue spy espionage thing about you know centering around the MacGuffin of the Black Book, um, certainly the kind of thing that Hitchcock uh, would have loved. And uh, you know surprisingly, it's a period film, so it's a it's a thriller set during the French Revolution, and Anthony Mann uh, gives it a little bit of that noir sheen that he was accustomed to doing. But that's a it's a nice little surprising discovery, uh, courtesy of Film Chest. So bravo for them. Yes. Fire. Far away. Far away. Uh, two of my favorite films from, um, from the 80s. Uh, the Big Chill. I was very surprised when Criterion decided to release The Big Chill. I don't know why. This was. I thought maybe this wouldn't be their, their, uh, their uh, cut of meat. Oh, man. No, I, but I, I love this d- film. didn't surprise me at all. This is one of, the, uh, one of my favorite films uh, as a kid. I love this film. I saw it 55 times, even though I was too young to really know exactly what it was about. All I knew was that it was some great songs, a great cast, a lot of great one-liners, a lot of great one-liners. This was uh, directed by Lawrence uh, Kazin and uh, written by Kazin and Barbara Benedict. And uh, Kazin, of course, is one of the great writers of the era. Empire Strikes Back co-wrote that, right? Yeah. Re- uh, Raise the Lost Stars, he's, right? He's, co- he's co-writing the, uh, the new, well, co-wrote the new Star Wars with J.J. And thank, and, Allegedly. And, and he probably had to co-rewrite it once Harrison yeah. Ford uh, had his foot injury or whatever that is. <laughs> anyway, the big chill, a lot of great one-liners. Anyway, I was a kid. All I cared about was the music and the one-liners. But now that I'm a little bit older, 
you realize what it's about, which is now the movie was about these six these kids who, who were they were kids in the sixties, very idealistic. Yeah. Now they're growing up in the eighties and they're adults and they have adult responsibilities. Yeah. And what it's like to actually sort of you know have to emerge into that cold world. Once once you are uh, what I find interesting about watching The Big Chill now, when I first saw it, I didn't really fully appreciate it because I was looking at them as irresponsible parent figures. Now that I am older than many of the many of those actors were in this movie, I look at it and I'm like, I totally get this movie now. It's strange how being that age, being younger or being older impacts how you view the film. That is true. Yeah. Uh, Tom Berenger, Glenn Close, Kevin Klein, Meg Tilly, Jeff Goldblum, William Hurt. I love this film. This is one of the, my favorite films. Uh, it's got a booklet, as usual. It's got a new interview with Kasdan. It's got a reunion of the cast from the 2013 Toronto Film Festival. And uh, it's great. It's a beautiful 4K digital transfer. This is not a cinematographer's delight, so it's not like you're going to get much out of a 4K transfer, but I'm glad they did it. Uh, and it's great. Absolutely loved it. Big Chill, a must-own. One of Wade and Mine's favorite movies. Yep, it's good. Uh, Scanners is finally out. I like when Criterion does Cronenberg uh, uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is this is one of Cronenberg's early great successes. This is about uh, it's about a group of people who have telekinetic powers, and they're the good scanners, and they're the bad scanners. They want to take over the world, Wade. They want to like literally blow your mind, literally. And 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 this and Videodrome are, are the Cronenberg films that I still. I, I like this more than uh, Videodrome. Well, Videodrome is a little too freaky, and this, apart from the gory stuff, I, I I've, I've grown to like a lot more. Oh, so you did not you did not like this? Not originally. I've, no. I've I, I, I I've grown into it a little bit more because I realize that it's about more than just the nasty stuff. I was very into the effects driven stuff at the time, you know. Well, because we were kids, and yeah. you know, it was like exciting. But uh, you know, look, he has he's Cronenberg here was dealing with a larger budget than he had in some of his previous films, and uh, you know, there's some good there's some the the, the effects are Cronenberg esque, where yeah. he just loves the viscera yeah. and he just loves the shock of it, and that's what Cronenberg does. But yeah, there's also a lot of other, other great stuff going on here. It's a great script, and um, it's good. The Blu-ray has a uh, documentary about the film special effects. Mm. It has a new interview with actor Mike, Michael Ironside, who you might remember is the uh, from um, Starship Troopers. Without the arm, with missing the hand. Without yeah. the arm, missing the hand. Uh, and an interview from uh, 1981 with Cronenberg. On the C, uh, CBC, of course, Cronenberg, a famous uh, one of the top Canadian directors, maybe other, except for James Cameron. I have to put James Cameron as Canadian directors, and then Cronenberg. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, you don't yeah, know about that? I don't think that's uh, that's fair. Uh, let's roll through some horror stuff, some classic uh, kind of horror genre stuff here from two different labels. Uh, a lot of stuff from Shout Factory and its Scream Factory label, and then uh, three from Severin. The three from Severin I'm not particularly fond of, but a lot of people are. They all have a cult following, uh, so I'll make mention of them real quickly. One of them is Bloody Moon. Uh, Bloody Moon is just re- truly absurd stuff from the early 80s. It's uh, one of those Jess Franco films where he's kind of trying to re- reinvent himself as, as someone who can do uh, horror films and not necessarily nudie horror films or films that have a, you know, like kind of a, a porn angle to them. And, of course, you know, uh, 
Frank, I just can't do that. He's not talented enough, and he's just too schlocky. So anyway, uh, it's it's it, you know it's it's weak, but it's got a following. Uh, there's also the baby, which is uh, one of the more disturbing films of its kind from the uh, the 1970s. Uh, this is from 1973 specifically, and uh, is a obviously an outgrowth in many respects of uh, a lot of the. Um, the obsessions that were evolving in the late 60s, like with Rosemary's Baby. When you name a movie The Baby, clearly you're obviously, you know, you want people to be very, you know. And The the Omen was also part of that, the whole Antichrist vibe that was going on. So anyway, uh, directed by Ted Post, who did a Planet of the Apes film, as well as Magnum Force. So it's a, it's a little better than average, but uh, still a little bit schlocky. And then Bloody Birthday, which is... Truly just beyond ridiculous and um, not very good. This is also from 1981. It still has that vibe of the, you know, the 70s horror films are still creeping in. It tries to be a little bit of a, of a slasher film because that was the thing at the time. You know, we were segueing out of the, the, uh, the, 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 the gore stuff that had sort of emerged in the late 60s, Herschel Gordon-Lewis, and we were moving into the slasher films with Friday the 13th and Halloween. So this is trying to be part of that. And, uh, you know, whatever. It's Bloody Birthday. It sounds like they made up the title and then made the movie. And then from the uh, Scream Factory, Shout Factory uh, tandem, we get Ginger Snaps in a Blu-ray DVD combo pack, the collector's edition. Uh, Ginger Snaps is better than average, actually. And uh, if you haven't seen it, it's it'll it you know it's a, it's about a couple of teenage girls who uh, have some strange obsessions that become very very deadly, and uh, there's a whole supernatural angle that you know I, I it's not no point in getting into, but it's worth checking out because it's one of the more unusual films of its period. We get an interesting double feature of uh, I Escape from Devil's Island with Jim Brown, and the final option. Uh, this is uh, not so much exploitation, but it's still kind of B-movie, and it's still sort of in that genre vein. I would recommend this only because the final option, I thought, is a surprisingly well-done film for having relatively no money to make. Uh, Edward Woodward is particularly good in it. It's uh, a better film than it really deserves to be. And uh, I Escape from Devil's Island has Jim Brown, and Jim Brown's just always a whole lot of fun. Uh, you also get the Vincent Price collection, which came out a little while ago, but they finally got us a copy on Blu-ray, and uh, this is great. This includes all of the uh, the fantastic um, uh, Poe films that uh, Vincent Price made for uh, Roger Corman, The Pit and the Pendulum, Mask of the Red Death, and The Fall of the House of Usher, along with uh, The Haunted Palace, The Abominable Dr. Fibes, and Witchfinder General, which is also known under the title The Conqueror Worm. Uh, all of these are on Blu-ray. All of them look great. The Mask of the Red Death in particular it looks fantastic because you know who shot Mask of the Red Death? Oh, yeah. Nicholas Rogue. Nicholas Rogue. Nicholas Rogue. That we was the talked about him. Yeah, that was the film that Nicholas Rogue went to after he was fired from being cinematographer on Dr. Zhivago. He shot a little bit on Dr. Zhivago after having been camera operator on uh, Lawrence of Arabia, and then David Lean realized, you're, you know what, I loved you as an operator, but your vision and mine don't quite correspond and we'll see and it was a they had their parting and then he went on and did stuff for Corman well here's the thing knowing where Nicholas Rogue wound up yep it's amazing that he even knew uh yeah that right David Lean I mean seriously I they seem like two totally different sensibilities I know I know 
Anyway, uh, an early Joe Roth producing effort, uh, and Joe Roth, of course, is married to, you know, uh, Sam Markoff's daughter, who, of course, is a producer herself. But uh, so he has, a, he has some, you know, he's entitled to do a little bit of genre stuff as well. This is a Blu-ray DVD combo pack of The Final Terror. Uh, the Final Terror was made in 1983. It is a very brief genre film that includes of uh, uh, Adrian Zamed, who we talked about earlier, and uh, this has a commentary and a whole bunch of other fun little extras on it. It's basically about a bunch of people who go camping and have a really bad time. So it's that deliverance thing again in kind of a more horror film, uh, Hills Have Eyes environment. Anyway. Uh, you get a few other people here who uh, you will recognize, like Joey Pants, otherwise known as Joe Pantoliano. He shows up in this. And the uh, thing that only makes this remotely interesting, and by the way, Sam Arkoff was the uh, main producer on this, so this is you know, it's a little family thing. He's throwing a bone to the son-in-law. Uh, what makes this interesting is this was directed by Andrew Davis. I liked his movies back yeah. in the 90s. Or, uh, he went on to do The Fugitive. 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 Yeah. And also The Package, an underrated film with Gene Ackman. And he, he directed a Chuck Norris film in there as well. And then uh, Deadly Eyes, directed by Robert Klaus, otherwise uh, famous only because he directed uh, Enter the Dragon and then went on to do uh, Jackie Chan's uh, Big Brawl, uh, all, you know, all from our good friend's dad. Um, Zach's dad really produced. That's just, it still blows my mind. I know. Anyway. Uh, so Deadly Eyes is really not good. Klaus just couldn't do anything if he didn't have a martial arts star in the movie. And he's just really a kind of a, a hack. Anyway, this is a very, very silly film from 1982, and it may have been the last film that he did before just completely disappearing from the map. Uh, this is uh, based on a novel called The Rats, and it's just this really stupid... Uh, it's just a stupid movie about, like, freak rats that have been contaminated with steroids and... They become these like mutant things, and it's just you know it's all it's, it's all kind of in the wake of uh, movies you know from Jaws and Piranha, and then everything just got totally ridiculous thereafter. And then lastly, a movie that really doesn't even deserve to be called a genre film because I, I just think Southern Comfort is a fantastic movie. Uh, Walter, no, then, no, Walter Hill. That's Walter intense. Hill just killed it with this. this he just killed it. Uh, this is very often lumped in as, a, as kind of a quasi-horror type film, but it, it, it really, this also has that deliverance vibe, but man, it's really, really good. Walter Hill kills it with this. It is, uh, it is a really intense film. It's out on Blu-ray from Shot Factory, and uh, absolutely at least worth the rental to check this out, because movies just aren't this intense anymore. It's more suspense than just gritty action payoff, and it's just fantastic. And uh, Powers Booth, one of his best performances, Keith Carradine, really, really first rate. You also get Fred Ward and uh, T.K. Carter. It's a really good cast, uh, all set in the Louisiana backwater. A bunch of National Guardsmen who are uh, out there for just regular training and then wind up having this, this deliverance-type range war with these uh, Cajun hillbillies. It's really a pretty, a pretty fascinating movie. It's kind of the war, like he remade The Warriors set in the, in, the, in the bayou, in a way, I guess you could say. Right? A little bit? I agree. A little I bit. like that movie. And then, um, wrapping very close to the uh, end of the show, let me just nail a couple of things here from the, uh, the new Kino Lorber uh, Studio Classics line, which we talked a little bit about last week. They got a few more titles out this week. Burt Lancaster and the Scalp Hunters. 
kind of a silly western that also uh, has Telly Savalas, Ossie Davis, and uh, Shelley Winters in it. Shelley Winters is uh, one of the best reasons to see this. She just chews the scenery because she knows she's in a very silly movie. Great score by Elmer Bernstein. That's on Blu-ray. Uh, worth checking out. Really, just it's from 1968. Really, not for Burt Lancaster. See it for Shelley Winters. Paris Blues with Paul Newman, Joanne Woodward, and Sidney Poitier. Uh, should be a lot better than it is. Um, Martin Ritt gets great performances from everybody, as he always did. This was made in 1961. And, uh, you know, uh, otherwise noteworthy because it has wonderful music from Duke Ellington. It's uh, a middling film, but I, I think it, aged, it dates a little bit poorly, but it still kind of holds together. You also have uh, Sidney Poitier in Duel at Diablo, along with the late James Garner, who just passed away literally days before um, uh, this arrived in our, uh, in our boxes. And so we, uh, we watched this with a heavy heart, actually, because um, James Garner was just um, such a, you know, I mean, such a loss. The movies, the television shows, James Garner was just extraordinary. Anyway, uh, this is a, a very workmanlike Western with two really good actors in it that features, uh, like the other films, an interesting score, in this case, by Neil Hefty. Neil Hefty, famous primarily for doing the television Batman score, uh, Batman theme. And then lastly, a couple of great Oscar winners. Uh, Marty, uh, with Ernest Borgnine, which is just one of the great all-time classic American films from 1955, directed by Delbert Mann, one of the few people to win Best Director and Best Picture for his very first film. This was his first, first film. Written by Panachevsky. Yep, written by Panachevsky. Uh, performed, actually, in a television production by Rod Steiger. There's a, there's a, you know, a live television performance of, of Marty with Steiger. But, um, it, it, honestly, I can't imagine anybody being that lonely bachelor butcher, that sweet-hearted guy, you know, who's looking for love like Ernest Borgnine. He just absolutely magnificently captures it. And Betsy Blair, as the woman who captures his heart, is just, it's so touching, it's so wonderful, it's so beautiful, and it's a wonderful Blu-ray and demands to be owned. And then the other one is uh, the Oscar-winning performance of um, David Niven in Separate Tables, uh, with an all-star cast that includes Rita Hayworth, Deborah Carr, and Burt Lancaster. And this is just a, a tremendous film. Another great score, this one by David Raxon. Also directed by Delbert Mann, after he had uh, sort of got his, uh, he had his, his groove going on with Marty. This was a few years later in 1958. And uh, it's, it's just a collection of fantastic performances. But really, David Niven is the one who just owns it. And uh, Wendy Hiller, who of course has had a very distinguished career for many, many decades already, uh, also won an Academy Award as Best Supporting Actress. So, uh, wonderful, wonderful film in every respect, and a great audio commentary from Delbert Mann himself. So that is, uh, that's something that I wish they had gotten onto Marty, but they didn't. But you do get at least a, uh, a Delbert Mann commentary that is fantastic on separate tables. So, all really great Blu-rays. Thank you, Kino. Keep it up. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Are we, are we, yeah. we going to end the show with these well, two? I, well, I, 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 should, we, should we not? It seems timely. <laughs> That's true. There's uh, there's trouble brewing in the Middle East as uh, once again uh, Israel and the Palestinians uh, do Gaza, what it is they Gaza do. Gaza in particular, the the Hamas Gaza situation. Do what they do. Yeah. And, it's been going uh, on our whole lives. Huh? It's been going on our whole lives. It's like the troubles in Northern Ireland. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we have I was there in color, which is the story of a uh, it's a documentary about a Jewish American businessman 
who died in 1972, but he left behind uh, reels and reels of color film that uh, really charted the birth of Israel. And it's amazing because uh, no one had seen this uh, footage for many decades. Only after this guy died, Fred Monison, did people find this footage. And it's, uh, you know, it's a great archival video of the birth of Israel. First time you're seeing some of this stuff and uh, really just almost like the creation of the Jewish state in color for the first time. So uh, if you're into that stuff, I was there in color. It's just wonderful. Also, uh, on the other end of the spectrum is a tragic story, uh, Children Without a Shadow. Uh, as documentaries go, it's fine, but it's just such a tragic story that it's really well worth watching. It's about... Um, the uh, Jews of Belgium and their story in terms of uh, surviving the Holocaust. There's one professor, uh, Shaul Harel. He was uh, hidden away for four years during the war, and uh, he wound up uh, growing up to be a quite remarkable professor, and this is his story, Children Without a Shadow. Fantastic. Good stuff. Marvelous. You know, I'm going I'm to wrap the show out on a higher note. I'm going to make mention of these three fantastic PBS documentaries, all of them on D-Day. His D-Day is uplifting and upbeat. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it was successful. That, you know what? That's putting a positive spin yes, on all Yes, thank that, you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, we got three titles from, uh, from PBS here. One is uh, Day of Days, June 6th, 1944. The other is D-Day 360. And the other is D-Day's Sunken Secrets. Oh, none of them overlap, really. They are all uh, completely different approaches to that incredible day, which we often forget, had it failed the entire world would be different. Had D-Day not succeeded, had the Germans just mowed down every single, the, the entire landing and repelled the invasion, Germany would have won the war. I mean, it, that, that, would have, that would have, or at least prolonged them long enough to just change the map of, of, of Europe. I mean, D-Day was, D-Day was a big deal. I mean, you know, obviously the United States was going to get the bomb and they were going to, they were going to probably would have dropped one on Berlin, uh, worst case. So, I mean, I'm sure the war would eventually have been won, but it would have been the cost and the toll and the, and the, and the landscape would have been very, very different. Anyway, uh, so June 6th, 1944, Legendary Day, D-Day Sunken Secrets. Uh, is a Nova episode, uh, courtesy of WGBH in uh, Chicago, and uh, goes into all of the seabed uh, artifacts that are left over from, from D-Day, and sort of, you know, there's a lot of crap on the bottom of the ocean still from D-Day, and it's just sitting there, and it's fascinating. Uh, D-Day 360 is the, uh, based on that whole 360 approach that uh, a lot of others, a lot of, you know, that's been the whole deal now, which is, uh, sort of, sort of uh, data driven and uh, looks specifically at you know how it happened and how it might not have turned out the same and you know so forth and so on and they use a lot of uh, forensic 3D modeling to sort of recreate this stuff and that's what the 360 is about it's the 360 3D modeling and then uh, Day of Days June 6, 1944 is uh, a recollection of the day from the men who were there those who landed and fought and were a crucial part of it. And uh, this is uh, on the 70th anniversary of it, just recently, in uh, this last June. And uh, this is very touching. So all of these together uh, create a perfect portrait of the importance of that legendary day. So we still have no outro, but go ahead and... Uh, I want to imitate your daughter. Uh, you want to imitate... Go see movie. Okay, fine. 
Uh, email us. Send us uh, emails and send us uh, Vox boxes. We'd, we'd love more Vox boxes. Anybody got questions? Even if you've sent them in before, we love them. Send us Vox boxes and emails. Godsdigigods.com. See you next week.